Guru Nation, thank you for checking out another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. If this is your first time here, or maybe not, I appreciate it. Like, subscribe, leave a review. I really appreciate it. I wanted to get my sponsors out of the way. The first one is my DSCS site network. We help sites get studies, help them do their budgets, help them with SOPs, a shoulder to cry on, anything you can think of. We help sites across the country do. The more sites in our network, the easier it is for us to get studies and from sponsors and CROs directly. If you're interested, check out the link in the show notes, a low monthly subscription fee. That's my company. Also, CRA Academy. If you're interested in learning how to become a CRA, check out the CRA Academy. The only program out there with a real internship opportunity through my CRO for all graduates of the Academy. Also, CRC Academy, same thing, but for coordinators with real internship opportunities. And now I wanted to get to my sponsors who help make this show consistently available to you and well-produced. First one is Viva Site Vault. Links in the show notes. Free electronic investigator site file. Free digital signatures. Free delegation of authorities log, all digital, go paperless. It's completely free. If you ever wanted to try going digital, at least for the investigator site file, check out Viva, link in the show notes. Next is Versatrial. It keeps your study portals organized. It's collaborative. So all staff at your site can get access and use it. We have 12 15 links sometimes per study to different portals. This keeps everything in one place. It keeps all your passwords. So it's just one click. And it also has an amazing feasibility tool to help you do feasibility surveys a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently for free. Next sponsor is Creo. This is the only one that's not free, but I think it's well worth it. It's eSource, it's eReg, it's CTMS, it's patient recruitment, it's patient payments. And you don't need to try all those things at once. You pay for what you need, but it is amazing. Once you start using it, most likely for the e-source, you're gonna want the CTMS. You're gonna want the automatic invoicing. So when you click on your e-source, dry ice was used for a lab, it will automatically send the invoice to the sponsor for the dry ice, saves you time. Countless things like this in Creo, amazing tool, check it out. Next sponsor is Inato for experienced sites. If you wanna get studies for free, Inato's the way to go. I just got my first study recently through Inato. It did take a few studies for me to filter through, but Inato actually does a really good job of making sure that it's a study that you actually wanna take. And they even do one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls with you and your PI or whomever from the site wants to join to see if a study is the right fit for you. And it's absolutely free. They get nothing out of it. I think the sponsors pay them on the back end. And it's amazing. So check it out. Inato, link underneath in the show notes, free. Finally, my last sponsor, 1N Health. This is a central patient recruitment vendor. They currently do not work with sites. But if you're a sponsor or a CRO, they are the best. I've used all of them. I've been doing this for 17 years plus. They are the best leads, the best interface for coordinators. You can text patients directly from the portal. 
they literally saved one of my studies recently, both at my site. We were just screen failing patients left and right until we finally used one end health and we got ourselves a respectable randomization number all through one end health. And they also did this entire study wide sponsor was able to end enrollment successfully because of them. I've never used, I've never been a fan of central patient recruitment vendors. This is the best one. Check them all out. Links in the show notes. With that being said, enjoy the show. Guru Nation, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, share. Really means a lot to me. A little bit about PI oversight. So this is important whether you're a coordinator that's learning the ins and outs of how to run your study, whether you're a PI yourself, whether you're someone thinking about becoming a PI, uh, whether you're a site director, sponsor, whatever the case may be, a little bit PI oversight, a little bit of quality control for your site and the two go hand in hand. So first and foremost, like the PI is the one that's responsible for the conduct of the trial at the site. And this is where all the regulatory docs come into play. This is where the 1572 form gets signed by the PI. That's the PI's promise that he or she, regardless of who's on the delegation of authorities log or delegation of duties log, that the PI is the one responsible for the conduct of the trial at the site. So we're going to get into how these regulatory documents play out in a study. So this is like maybe the good topic for or the good title will be the practical implications of PI oversight and safety oversight in a clinical trial. So the PI, regardless of who's the coordinator, regardless of how many support staff they have, the PI is the one held responsible for the safety of the patients and the conduct of the study at the site. That means protocol compliance. That means GCP adherence. What is GCP in a nutshell? Keep patients safe. That's what GCP compliance, good clinical practice is. Keep patients safe at all costs, even at the expense of the study data. So meaning you have a patient, they're in a study, they're not doing well in the study. You think it's because of the study. You take them out. Who cares if they're not done with the study? You take them out. It's patient safety first. Now, it gets a lot more complex than that. There are inclusion-exclusion criteria. The PI should be the one reviewing. Creo, one of my sponsors on this podcast, Creo, makes it very simple to document PI oversight. Literally, all the PI has to do is push a button at the end of every completed visit. Push I attest that I have read and that everything is true. It shows PI oversight. You want a PI footprint. One of the biggest findings, if not the biggest finding during FDA audits, is a lack of PI oversight. So if you're a PI or if you're a coordinator, you got to keep your PIs engaged. A lot of you guys watching are coordinators. You have PIs. They're just following orders from you they're following that your lead you gotta sometimes go take the laptop to them and say hey sign in e-sign this 
or you can bring them a stack of lab results. Hey, you've got to sign these things. You have to assess for clinical significance. We just got a SUSAR in. We just have a SAE, serious adverse event. So these are the main things PIs look out for. Inclusion, exclusion. So we're going to go with from the source, and then we're going to move over to the regulatory when it comes to PI oversight. So at the source, the very first thing is informed consent. The PI doesn't always have to sign the informed consent form. But again, if you recall from my other videos, make sure your SOPs, make sure you're following your own SOPs, your standard operating procedures. If your SOPs state the PI needs to be present during the informed consent process, then you should have some documentation in your progress notes that the PI was present. Doesn't mean the PI is the one conducting the informed consent but it means the PI was present. Other SOPs might say your PI needs to sign off on every informed consent. Well, then make sure you're doing that. And sometimes sponsors have their own requirements. I have several studies right now. Most, they do not have the requirement for PI to sign off on the informed consents, but all of them, it's a good idea for the PI to document that they've reviewed that the informed consent was done properly or at least that the process of consent was adhered to. So this is where the documentation comes in. Again, this is where Creo, I think, excels as far as making it easy for the PI, because let's face it, PIs are busy. They're clinicians, they're physicians, they have private practice, they have patients. If you're lucky, you'll catch them in between their patients for you to talk to them about your research stuff going on. And that's where you got to throw in your progress notes, your lab results, your informed consents, your ECGs, all this stuff I'm going to get into right now from a source perspective. Uh, so the first thing is informed consent. The next thing is eligibility criteria. So the PI should be the one making sure that the patients that you are about to randomize are qualified for the study. That's super important. And yes, you can delegate. And this is why it's important to delegate tasks to maybe other clinicians like nurse practitioners or registered nurses or coordinators. Hey, make sure this patient actually qualifies. Are they on the right meds? Are they taking prohibited meds? But the PI should know as well. And if the PI discovers that there are gaps in the quality, and this is where you need quality control at your site, maybe that's an entire different video. If there are gaps in the quality, meaning a lot of mistakes are being made, patients are being randomized when they shouldn't, or patients were inadvertently screen failed when they actually should have been randomized, which is something that just happened to me, unfortunately, at one of my studies uh, here at Yuma Clinical Trials. We're going to try to get that patient rescreened, by the way. But it was actually the PI who caught it and said, hey, why did we screen fail this person? Their BMI was not low. And then we looked and we saw oh, there was actually a glitch in the way the height and weight was being calculated. And we screen failed when we shouldn't have was the point. And the PI actually was the one who caught it. That was our quality control is the PI. You should have quality control separate from the PI. And then the quality control should be letting the PI know, hey, what do you think about this particular condition? We just had another patient that we did randomize that had a thyroid issue, and there was a fear that it was um, uh, 
possibly cancer. It turned out it wasn't. But the the PI actually went to go do a physical to assess, look at the lab results and said, no, this is not not cancer. This is something the patients had um, in their medical history. Make sure you document in the medical history. You can randomize. So this this is the kind of oversight. These are the 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 shots are called by the PI. And if you're a good site, you have support staff that are also calling shots and asking the PI what they think about certain situations like medical history, eligibility. So those are the first two things we discussed, informed consent and eligibility. The next thing is lab results. So whether that's actual lab results that the PI has to sign off on and determine is this clinically significant is this not clinically significant because if you look at most inclusion exclusion criteria for most studies they will say majority of the time if not all the time any clinically significant medical conditions besides the therapeutic indication for this particular study will be an exclusion criteria so that's where clinically significant and non-clinically significant come in. And yes, you can delegate that as well to a sub-investigator who's a qualified clinician, like a nurse practitioner, maybe another physician. But the PI also needs to co-sign. The PI also needs to verify and document that he or she knows what is going on. And again, this is why Creo makes it so easy. Just hit a button. Boom, and we're going to get into the regulatory stuff where one of my other sponsors, Viva and Creo, make regulatory compliance easy from a PI standpoint. So labs, ECGs, um, those kind of things. There are other reports like x-ray reports sometimes or maybe specific therapeutic indication uh, assessments that the PI should do like in psychiatry there's there's diagnosis scales like the skid the mini things like that but for the most part the labs ECGs and other assessments that only the PI or qualified clinician should do super important the next thing is SAEs so Serious adverse events, let's get to the SAEs first because they're like the name implies, more serious. But causality, is it likely in the investigator's opinion that this serious adverse event was caused by the investigational product? That's super important information that the sponsor wants to know. And that will determine whether the SAE becomes a SUSAR which is which is a suspected unexpected serious adverse reaction. These decisions are not made in a vacuum. They require PI participation, PI assessment. Another thing that the PI would have to get involved with in an SAE is um, continuing in the study. Does the patient stay in the study? if a SAE occurred, if the protocol still allows it. Only the PI can determine. Less serious than a serious adverse event is an adverse event. So patient getting headaches, patient never had headaches, patients also getting nausea, patients also getting other gastro systems, GI, uh, GI symptoms. Does the PI document communication between 
the site staff and the patient, hey, you can you can take rescue medications, we can give you some, or unfortunately the protocol doesn't allow rescue medications. Do you still want to be in the study? In my opinion, you can, or in my opinion, maybe you shouldn't because it doesn't look like you tolerate this study well. These are things the PI needs to make determinations about. These are safety things, and these are quality of life things, and these are good good clinical practice things that the PI needs to determine. Is it okay for the patient to continue in the study or not? So that's from the source standpoints. Uh, for the most part, what I could determine, also prohibited meds, but those are like eligibility things. And like I just said, in the middle of a study, if a patient wants to get a new medication because of some new symptom, the PI is going to determine, hey, is that okay for this patient to continue in the study? Uh, do I need to have a conversation with the patient about discontinuing from the trial? Needs to be documented because patient safety, GCP says patient safety comes first. So from a source perspective, that's what the PI needs to do. Document, have their footprint, their fingerprints literally stamped, whether it's e-signed like in Creo or wet ink signed on lab results or whatever the case may be. That's considered a good PI. And the FDA needs to see enough of this on a study from that PI. They need to see a pattern to where you're establishing a pattern that patient safety and the protocol is being adhered to and being monitored by no one else but the PI, regardless of how many staff members are delegated to a study. So that's on the source side. Now there's the regulatory side. Like I discussed, that 1572, that's the PI's promise to the FDA. I am the only one responsible for the conduct of this study at this site. But then it gets into other things like delegation of duties log. Have you noticed, if you've never seen one of these forms before, you should look at it. Delegation of authorities log, only the PI can sign off on every single person working on the study at the site. So coordinator, backup coordinator, research nurse, sub-investigator one, sub-investigator two, regulatory specialist. The PI is going through each of those things and if you're using Creo or Viva, which Viva Site Vault is absolutely free for sites, and Viva Site Vault is a free e-regulatory system with free e-signatures, free e-delegation of authorities log, it makes it really easy for the PI to go in there and assign different people tasks, which, by the way, the coordinator can actually pre-assign those tasks, but only the PI can go in there and sign off on each line for each staff member that's gonna be on the delegation of authorities log. So super important delegation log. Another important thing is the training log, which is also electronic or paper. Anytime a new staff member joins the study, the PI needs to make sure they've been trained. Doesn't have to be the PI doing the training, but the PI needs to make sure that the training has been done. So keeping training logs up to date. The other logs, like the informed consent logs, keeping those up to date. Uh, anytime a new sub-investigator is added to the 1572, more training. Anytime there's a new amendment to the protocol, there's a signature page specifically for the PI 
that they understand what the amendment entails. PI needs to sign off on that. Uh, then the PI needs to make sure that when there's a new amendment to the protocol, that all the staff are retrained on the new version of the protocol in a training log. Again, this is the PI's responsibility. PI can delegate this, and it's all good as long as it's getting done. This is where quality control, quality assurance, whatever you want to call it, as long as it's being done, the PI is doing their job. But the minute something is missed, a new amendment occurs, and none of the staff have been trained on it, the monitor is going to go to the PI and say, this needs to be done. This is an action item. If that becomes a pattern of missed trainings for staff, the PI is the one responsible. So this is where the monitors get involved. The CRAs start getting involved. And if these action items are still not remedied or addressed, eventually a sponsor or CRO is going to send auditors, auditors to the site because what they want to do is make sure that the site, especially the PI oversight when it comes to regulatory or source, are prepared should the FDA ever audit that site. So training log, protocol amendments, training logs that trigger that, delegation of authorities log, end dates for staff that don't work there anymore, start dates for new staff that work there, updated 1572s for new sub-investigators, logs, informed consent logs, protocol deviation logs. Somebody's got to sign off on those. Be aware that these are occurring, whether at the individual subject level or at the master site level. However you want to do it or however your sponsor wants to do it, protocol deviation logs. So we discussed all these things in the regulatory video we did, but this is how it pertains to a PI. PIs basically got to know all this stuff like, hey, who's doing it? Why are we making these deviations? What are we doing to fix it? How, how are we going to correct this stuff? Should we stop enrolling for now until we figure out how to get our act together? Like these are decisions the really the quality control at a site should be doing or a site director and the PI. And sometimes like because I'm the quality control person at my site and the site director, I'll go to the PI and say, hey, thanks for referring patients, but we're still training new staff. Let's put a hold on screening for at least a few weeks until we get the new staff up to speed, and then we'll start screening again. Or maybe we'll screen at a slightly slower pace in order to make sure that we're not making like issues like protocol deviations and things like that. So having this communication between the PI and someone at the site that knows what they're doing and knows how all these things connect is critical because it makes the PI's job easier. And what's the PI's job ultimately? It's to keep patients safe, to adhere to GCP, and to follow the protocols. So that's how source document relates to PI oversight. This is how regulatory documents relate to PI oversight and monitoring visits. The monitors will come to the site approximately every six weeks. The monitors will talk to the PI about action items. The monitors will document in their notes whether they met with the PI or not. A pattern of not meeting with the PI over a extended period of time means there's probably not very much PI oversight. So I make it a point as the site director, every time we have a monitoring visit, 
even if I have to drive the monitor to the PI's office, we're going to have a meeting, even if it's five minutes. If I can't do that, we'll do a phone call. But they document, the monitors document every time they come, where they're able to face-to-face -face or at least remotely talk to the PI about the issues at the site during that visit. Believe it or not, there's a lot of PIs out there that routinely do not meet with their monitors. This is not good for PI oversight. Once it's okay, twice it's okay, three times in a row, it's not a good thing. It, it starts becoming a pattern. And these are documented. Every monitoring trip report is, is documented in a trial master file that sponsors look at. Metrics are kept on all these things. So if you're a PI, you gotta know what your obligations are and sort of what's normal. Now, you can do this with limited amount of time on your end, depending how busy your site is. But if you're doing like, let's say right now my site's doing on average one or two patient visits a week, and that's amongst three PIs. So really each PI maybe spends one to five hours a week. And that includes meeting with monitors, meeting with me, overseeing labs, saying hi to patients, being there to answer patient questions, things like that. So it's very practical to do. It's a very good uh, additional uh, add-on revenue stream for anyone's private practice. It's an alternative treatment option for patients of a private practice. It's very doable, but you have to have the right staff in place. And if you don't, then that becomes a problem. So make sure you have PI oversight. Thank you guys for watching. Hopefully it helps. Source, regulatory, how it interacts between the monitors and the FDA and the patients and your own staff. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye-bye.